my, one of my sons-in-law has been known to run marathons and half marathons. The last time he ran a marathon, he, he hit that brick wall that marathon runners often talk about when he reached just over the 20-mile mark and he was so down to a walking pace and was about to stop. But his 11-year-old daughter joined in and ran the last few miles with him, keeping him going, encouraging him forward. Like many marathon runners, with the support of his daughter, he had to truly drive himself both mentally as well as physically to complete the course. He needed the determination to keep on going on. And the 12th chapter of Hebrews calls us to the determination of keeping on going on in the Christian life. Let us run with determination the race that lies before us, the writer to the Hebrews says. How much more glorious is this spiritual race than the great, the great feats of endurance and athletic ability that the world pays so much attention to. The inspiring challenge of spending all one's strength and mental discipline in running a marathon pales beside the challenge of running with determination, running with endurance, keeping on going on with the race of life and the race of faith. In verses 1 to 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer to the Hebrews says that we are to be prepared for the race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance or with determination or with endurance, the rest marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Christian life is more like a marathon than a hundred meter sprint. It's not a quick dash and then you give up. It's an endurance test. It's a keeping on going on. It's a matter of keeping on the whole of your life. If we are to become involved in running any race, we must prepare effectively. We must plan everything from choosing the right running shoes to doing our stretches and our warming up exercises. And in this race, which Hebrews talks about, we are given a number of thoughtful preparations so that we may run effectively. The 11th chapter of Hebrews pays tribute, I said, to the several Old Testament saints whose lives are highlighted as examples for us to follow. So the first way that the writer Hebrews tells us to prepare ourselves for the race is to emulate the great saints of the past. Many a young athlete has learned lessons from how his or her childhood hero performed as a footballer, as a rugby player, as a cricketer, as an athlete. So spiritually, we must observe and emulate those witnesses who have gone before us. Those men and women 
made the difficult choices to follow the Lord and to seek his glory and to grow in maturity. All the great witnesses of the Bible of the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses and Sarah and the others, as well as the great witnesses of the New Testament, Peter and James and John, and their believers that you've known, people that you have come across in life, who have set you an example, and we are to emulate that. The great saints of the past have testified to us that the race is well worth running and that it is worth running with perseverance and with determination. You have to be convinced by those who have gone before that the race of faith is worth finishing. Secondly, the writer of the Hebrews says that we lay aside every encumbrance. Let us throw off everything that hinders. In preparing to run a race, we must rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way. It's difficult to run a race if we're carrying extra weight. An athlete will not run a marathon in his heavy overcoat if he's running seriously. They strip down to their running kit. Some have been known to shave their body hair in case it slows them down a fraction of a second. So in the race of life, we must get rid of everything that hinders us in serving God and living for God and going on with God. The writer is probably referring here to the weight of guilt. We are not responsible to make ourselves right before God. We have already been made right with God if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. If we trust in Jesus, our personal Savior and Lord, then we are right with him. We are not responsible for cleaning up and paying for our sinful choices of the past. They've been paid for at the cross. So we're not to allow past sins to burden us. Things that have ashamed us in the past have been dealt with at the cross. If we have confessed them and repented of them, then we have been forgiven. Of course, we must not continue in those sins. Maybe you had a besetting sin before you became a Christian, a particular weakness in your life. You must cast it off. You must ask Christ to help you to overcome that sin. The second, th third thing he says is you have to get rid of the sin that entangles us, the sin that holds on to us tightly. Here the figure is not of a weight that is pressing down, but rather the problem that besets the, the runner during the race. The pitfalls of temptation that await and to trip us up and to snag us as we run for Jesus. Sinful choices tempt us. Pitfalls await us if we are not paying attention. It is not the burden of past sins the writer is referring to here, Rather, the present things that entangle us, that trip us up, that cause us to divert from following Jesus wholeheartedly. We need to be ruthless with what besets us. We must know our weaknesses well enough so that we avoid these pitfalls. When I was in P3 or P4, 
which was a long time ago. I was running home from school one day and I tripped over a stone and landed another and split my knee and I still have a scar to this day. I learned that you must watch lest you trip over an obstacle. A child is not very old when he or she learns of the folly of running when a shoelace is untied. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us to prepare to run a race, realizing that our feet may become entangled. Are you running the Christian life with a shoelace untied? Maybe it's a wrong relationship that you've got into. Maybe it's because you love money or material things. Maybe it's because you have fanatical love of sport. I had a friend who happened to be good at squash. Wasn't much, he wasn't good at much else sports-wise, but he was really good at squash. And it became such an obsession with him that it, deter, that it deflected him from his Christian life. It deflected him from going on with Jesus. And he really had to deal with it radically. We may stumble and fall, so we must give ourselves, get rid of those sins that hold us back, those diversions that keep us from going on with Jesus. Then the writer of the Hebrews tells us that we must look to Jesus. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The race of the Christian life demands a single focus of attention. A family were visiting the beach one day, and the children decided that they were going to have a race. The father lined them up, pointed to the rock at the further side of the beach, and said, first to the rock is the winner. When the race was over, he did a strange thing. He gathered them round, and he got them to look at their footprints in the sand. One child's footsteps wavered in and out because he had decided to run along the side of the sea. And so as the sea came in and out with the tide, he ran in and out and in and out. Another child, her footsteps were all over the place. And her father says, look, your footsteps are all over the place. And she says, yes, I kept looking behind me to make sure he was behind me so that I wouldn't lose. And the child who won, his footsteps showed that he had run directly in a straight line to the finishing post. I kept my eyes firmly fixed on that rock, he said, and ran straight for it. And the writer of the Hebrews says that we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, firmly fixed on Jesus, so that we're not double-minded. We either have as the central desire of our lives Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, or we're succumbing to the temptation to look away from him. If, we find your, if you find yourself less filled with concern for the things of God, it may very well be that your heart is treasuring something else. The call is to run the race of your Christian life with perseverance, with endurance, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. So it requires that we keep on going on with determination. 
Jesus endured the cross. He did not quit. He did not call down a legion of angels to save him as he could have done. He endured to the very end. And that's what he calls us to do, to keep on going on with him. And then in verses 3 to 11, the writer of the Hebrews tells us to think of Jesus. It's not enough to be prepared for the race, to cast off our burdens, to tie our shoes, to be encouraged by the witnesses who have gone before, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We should also be clear in our minds that the race will be difficult. We are enthusiastic to run at times, but honesty requires that we understand that sometimes we will feel the pressures of life we will feel the difficulties of life and we will wane in our Christian walk. Two kinds of hardship will pressure us as we are making our way in the Christian life. The first is mentioned in verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the second is found in verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So we will face opposition because of our walk with God. And we will face the discipline of God. We will face opposition like Jesus, we will suffer at times simply because we're doing the right thing. Because everything about our life and our choices are godly and honorable to the Lord. Because we exhibit the fragrance of Christ. Because we're doing exactly what we ought to be doing in following Christ. Jesus was attacked viciously and crucified. And a world that hates him and what he stands for will at times lash out to us if we're walking with Jesus. Kate Forbes is the finance minister in Scotland. And initially, early in the week, when Nicholas Sturgeon retired, or resigned, I was going to say retired, resigned, she was one of the front runners to take over. But the woke brigade got going. You look up Facebook or Twitter and see what they're saying. She's a Christian. She doesn't believe in abortion. She doesn't believe in gay marriage. And all of a sudden, they're attacking her and saying she's not suitable to be the first minister because she has Christian values and because she's walking with Jesus. It's believed that the gender recognition bill that went through the Scottish Parliament before Christmas was rushed through while Kate Forbes was on maternity leave because the Nicola Sturgeon knew that she would oppose it. Here's a girl who is loving Jesus, following Jesus, and she's being attacked for no other reason than that she's a Christian. And we must expect that. How did Jesus deal with this hostility and viciousness directed against him? 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that later God would vindicate him, and that was enough. Jesus knew his father was trustworthy. He knew about resurrection beyond death. So he endured. He did not give up. He kept on going on. And if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we consider him. We make the same choice. And that's what we're called to do. We will face opposition. But secondly, we will face the loving discipline of God. Paul reminds us all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is true that everything that befalls us, whether it's hostility or purposeful discipline, is superintended by the sovereign God who knows exactly what he's doing. So in whatever situation we find ourselves, he ought to be our trust. A lot of times it will feel like we are being treated with hostility for no good reason except that we belong to Jesus. At other times, it will seem that our Heavenly Father loves in us enough to discipline us and that we can cooperate with the process. In either case, we must keep on going on, running the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus. When you face hardship and difficulty, when life isn't a bed of roses, the Father can be disciplining us. Discipline is different from punishment. Jesus was punished for our sin. And we escape punishment because he died in our place, because he paid the price. But we will be disciplined. Discipline always tries to build something. It has as its purpose maturity and character. If a parent comes home angry with his or her boss or angry with something that had happened at work, and takes it out on their children, that's not discipline, that's punishment. Discipline is always for the sake of the child. But it is experienced by the child, sometimes as sorrowful and difficult. And here in these verses, God's discipline of us is led alongside the discipline of a parent or a child. Look at what the writer says in these verses. Ill-disciplined children, in verse 8, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. The writer is saying that parents who do not care enough about their children to discipline them are treating their children like throwaway children. Undisciplined children grow up to be wild and unruly with chips in their shoulders. But loving discipline comes from loving parents and God's discipline comes from a heavenly Father who loves us. God wants us to grow up as spiritually mature Christians who are neither selfish nor greedy. He wants us to grow to be Christians who are more and more and more like Jesus. God will restrict us. God will buffet us because God demands commitment of us. This is the loving activity of the Father who cares. If he did not care, we'd be throwaways. And then in verse 10, he tells us that human fathers do what is right to their children. They discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. 
Nobody really trains anybody for parenthood. We struggle through it, doing what we think is right for our children. And sometimes we make mistakes. We have only our best understanding of an imperfect world to go by. Yet good parents are respected by their children, even though sometimes the parent blows it. How much more should we respect our Heavenly Father? The outcome of God's discipline is in verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline produces training, and being trained in righteousness or Christ-likeness produces not only righteous character, but it produces inner peace. If we listen to a heavenly Father who is committed to making us more like Jesus, if we will cooperate with him instead of quitting or regarding his instruction lightly, we become righteous and our lives are filled with peace, confidence, and assurance. The point is that we're running a race. And the race is going to be hard at times because in the world there is a hostility and an antagonism to the things of God. When we face hardship, we need, as Jesus did, to see the glory that is on the other side and not quit. At other times, the race is hard because our Heavenly Father is not going to let us grow up into inadequate, foolish, self-centered, arrogant children. He wants us to be righteous. And so in our race, we will experience difficulties and hardship that come from Him because he wants to make something of us. But the race is worth running, running with determination, looking to Jesus. And finally, the writer of the Hebrews says, don't let your weaknesses keep you from the race. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Most of us have weaknesses of one kind or another. Most of us at times have turned aside. We have made mistakes. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying to you and to me tonight, keep running, strengthening the hands that are tired. Bind up your trembling knees. Keep on going on. Find out where you have weaknesses and surrender them to Jesus. And let's go on in the race. Throw off the burdens, cut off the entanglements, strengthen the limbs, cheered on by those who have gone before us and finished the race. Let us keep going on, living for Jesus, looking to Jesus, following Jesus, surrendering all to Jesus, so that the day will come when we will be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to praise you for your faithfulness and your love and your goodness to us. We come, O oh God, acknowledging that you have called us to yourself and you have called us to keep on going on with you. Help us to do that. Help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. 
that we will run with perseverance and determination the race that lies before us. For we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.